Hey, Mountain. It's good to be with you, whether you're joining us from the Abingdon campus or the Beller campus, Edgewood campus, or Mountain Road campus, or online. It's really good to be together. I'm glad you're with us. Hey, let me begin by telling you something that you probably already know, and that is that you, it's important to pay attention to where you are. That's how you know what your next step is. You got to pay attention to where you are. You, do you believe me? If you don't believe me, just watch this guy. Watch very carefully. Watch this screen here. The soup rope's going to go in or something like that. The soup rope's going to go in or something like that. You got to see it again. Don't you love the supportive friend there videoing the whole thing? I love that. You got to pay attention to where you are. That's how you know what your next step is. Your next step's important. Uh, it, re- it really, really is. Let me ask you another question. Do you know what your next step is? Everybody has a next step. I don't care who you are, how long you've been around. You can't get anywhere without taking that next step. And it's true in your finances. It's true in your health. It's true in your relationships. It's true in your relationship with God. And what we believe is this, that today God is ready And waiting and hoping that you and I will take an important step, a bold step, a courageous step maybe, a timely step today. We're in this series, we're calling the the, the series Take a Step because how important this concept really is to take a step. We began last week talking about the Mount Kilimanjaro trip. If you missed that... Uh, you got to go online and check that out. You hear the interview, hear the people and the stories and see some of the pictures and videos we showed. It'll encourage you, inspire you, I hope. Uh, it's a lot more than a, than a climb. And today we're going to talk about these three chairs that you see up here right now. Uh, these three chairs, because each of these chairs represent a kind of place you can be uh, with God. Okay, every person listening to my voice right now, okay, here in this campus, every campus online, you're in one of these three chairs. Or there's symptoms and signs I'm going to give you that you'll be able to identify where you are. That's how you know where your next step is. You've got to know, first of all, pay attention to where you are. We got this idea from Bruce Wilkinson years ago, um, and it became something we started to adapt and adopt for Mountain, and, and it has become so helpful and so important for so many people that we are revisiting it today, and I believe it's going to be helpful to you today. Can I just encourage you to be really open today? to do your best to open your mind and your heart, to do an honest self-assessment about where, in fact, you are. Not where you used to be, okay? I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you where you wish you were or where you want people to think you are, but where are you really with God right now? That's going to help you know what your next step might be, okay? You can take some notes if you want. You could divide a piece of paper with three columns, and I'll give you some words for each chair in each column, or you might want to do it on your phone, whatever you want to do. But let's begin, and we'll start over here in chair number one. We call this the first chair over here on your left. And we call this chair here chair one because the person who sits here, they're not perfect. You know what? But they have accepted that Jesus is who he said he was the Son of God, and they're trusting Him for the forgiveness of their sins. They have a real relationship and an ongoing uh, communication with the Lord. And and this person is what you would call a a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. One of the best words to describe chair one would be commitment. 
Because there's a commitment there. They've made a commitment to Christ. They have, they have experienced in an ongoing way the faithfulness of God in their life. And you know what? God has a sense that he can count on you too, that you're going to be faithful to him. This is a person who is around here, we say, loves God, loves people, and serves the world. They love God. When they come to corporate worship, there's a sense of expectancy and anticipation. Their attitude is good. They're ready to receive and give. And in their own private time with God, they, they have real stuff happening. They love people. They're in relationships that matter with other believers. That's important to them, and that feeds their life, and they're connected with other Christians. They're also thinking about and praying for and reaching out to people who are far from God because people matter to them. And they serve the world. They use their time, their talent, their treasure for the things of God on a regular basis. This is a person you could sum up with that word commitment. Does that make sense? Let me describe chair two for you. Chair two has a different vibe altogether. Chair two, maybe the best word that we would use to describe chair two might be the word compromise. Compromise, because this person maybe on the surface would say, you know, I, I, uh, I love God too, but in reality, just in practical realities, it's not really how it's reflected or plays out in, in your life when you're in chair two. The commitment has kind of faded to more of a back burner uh, relationship with God. Jesus told a story one day. He told lots of parables, right? And one of the ones he tells in Matthew chapter 13 is sometimes called the parable of the soils because it kind of compares people, people like us, to different kinds of soil when a farmer goes out and, and sows seed. Like my lawn right now is trash. I don't know what happened, but I got these big bald patches. Anybody else got the bald patches? I don't know all of a sudden what I ate my lawn. But. So I've got, to get, I've got to get that broadcaster out and put my seed in there and go through and spread the seed everywhere. Jesus says that's what it's like when, when, when God sort of visits people. It's like spreading that seed, and there's different kinds of receptivity among us. He says some people are like um, where the seed falls on the, like, just like the path and it gets trampled underfoot, or birds eat it before it can ever take root. Or sometimes it falls on thin soil, where it kind of springs up quickly and looks good and makes a great start, but then it kind of withers away. There's no root system, and, 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 and it either gets eaten by the birds or withers away as fast as it came. I bet some of us are tracking with where Jesus is going with this, because that's exactly the experience some of us have had, spiritually speaking, isn't it? We, the birds ate your faith. <laughs> Something happened along the way, or you made a great start. You made a strong commitment to the Lord at one point in your life. There was something there. Spiritual seeds were planted, and they grew up, but then you, went, you hit middle school, you hit high school, you went to college, you hit the military, you got busy, life got in the way and God took a back burner. And so now you find yourself not in a fully committed place with God anymore. You find yourself in a sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of compromising. And that's, that's what Jesus is talking about in that story. And that's kind of what chair two is like. I noticed as a pastor that a lot of people who live in chair two or spend time here, they often feel guilty about stuff. They've got enough sort of religious stuff in their background. They feel guilty for not being tighter with God. And yet, uh, um, because they feel guilty, they, it makes them even want to go further away sometimes because no one likes to feel guilty. And by the way, did you notice that chair two moves? It's on wheels. Which is convenient because chair two people like to hang around over here with some of these people, the chair one people. They like to be around people of faith. It enriches them. They like that. But they're fully capable of moving over here to hang out with the guys 
or the people at work or school and talk in a whole different game. And, and, and it's kind of a chair that moves because that's the way compromise works. That's, that's, that's chair two. It kind of really depends more on who you're with. Chair three has a different word that we could use to characterize it. And the easiest word to, to characterize chair three might just be the word complacency because it's a comfortable chair. A person in chair three, you can't tell by looking at them. I mean, they might be old or young or black or white or rich or poor. It doesn't matter. But they're a person who's spiritually comfortable. They don't really have God in their life right now, and they're okay with that. Like, you know what? Honestly, my life's going pretty well. I feel pretty good about everything. I'm pretty busy. I don't know that I need God or have time for God. And they're, they're spiritually comfortable right now. And the story of the... Um, of the soils that Jesus tells, he actually talks about how some seed is going to fall among the thorns, and the, and the plant grows up just fine. It looks like it's doing just great for all appearances, but what it sometimes doesn't realize is there's also thorns growing up alongside of it, and eventually those thorns come in and choke out the plant. And that's kind of how it is in chair three. You know, life looks fine, seems like it's going well enough, but the cares of this world or whatever it might be is going to choke out the spiritual aspect of your life. The person in chair three, they might be like an avowed atheist, like someone who declares that at an office party, like, oh, I don't believe in God, or I'm too smart for that, or, you know, I've, I've kind of graduated beyond that. They might be like a person who says there is no God, an avowed atheist, but they might not be that way. They might actually be like someone who, who I would just call like a practical atheist. They might be kind of religious on the outside, even go to church, but for all practical purposes, they live as if there is no God, okay? You know, on, on, on the daily, the way they live their life and make their choices, they, they kind of live in, in a practical atheism. That would still be chair three. They do things totally on their own power, in their own regard. Are you kind of feeling the difference between the chairs? Chair one, two, and three, can you feel it? Commitment, compromise, and complacency. It's important to know where you are. So let me take you back through the chairs, and, and this time with an Old Testament passage. You can open your Bible if you've got it or on your app to Joshua chapter 24. We'll put the words on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you today uh, because it's an interesting regression, if you will, where you can see what happens in a family or, 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 or even an individual life. If you go to Joshua chapter 24, Joshua is a, a leader of the people of God of Israel, and he stands up to declare where he is and to call everyone to chair one faith. If you look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it says, Now honor the Lord and serve him faithfully with your whole heart. There's chair one language, right? Pretty strong, a strong invitation. He says that's what God deserves. He goes on to say, throw away those false gods and those other gods that your ancestors worshipped on the other side of the Euphrates River back in Egypt. Forget about that. Don't go after that. You've got to make a break. You've got to do you. You've got to decide what you're going to do. Verse 15, he says, you know, others are going to do other things. Your family can do what they're going to do. Your ancestors can do what they're going to do. That's great. You can be stuck in spiritual lethargy if you want. But then he says in verse 15b, he says this. He says, as for me and my house, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. He firmly plants his buns right down here in chair one. I'm going to tell you, there's no equivocate. You don't have to wonder. Gee, I wonder where Joshua really stands. No waffling, no wiggling. It's clear, isn't it? That's chair one faith commitment. What's interesting to me is how quickly that crumbles, how much how easy it is that for faith to kind of fade over time. If you look, just like one page flip in your Bible over, look in your Bible at Judges chapter 2. 
It's the same people. It's the same people that Joshua was talking to that day. But in Judges chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, we see some time has passed, and it says here that the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who lived longer than Joshua. And it goes on to say that all those folks, he refers to them as those who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. It's very subtle. You might not even notice it if I hadn't pointed it out to you. But it's a slow fade. They're talking all of a sudden in past tense about what God used to do in their life. Did you pick up on that? That's what happens in chair two. You don't really have like a current story to tell about what you and God are up to in the moment. You're remembering, oh, I remember when I made a commitment. That was years ago. Or there was, you know, you talk in past tense and you kind of assume that you can coast on that old faith you once had. And that's what's happening here. These people had a lot in their life that they could refer to in the past. God, he's the one who parted the, the Jordan River. They went through and dry ground, the promised land. He, they, he made the sun stand still. He helped them in the battle of Jericho. The walls fell, all these great things. But it's all past tense. And some of us are the same way. We're like, yeah, I, I was baptized, or I made a decision, or I remember when I used to be in that small group. And that's chair two. That's kind of what it's like. Past tense. What's interesting is that the regression can continue even further, and it does in this passage. If you just keep flipping and you go another page in your Bible, you, you realize that the, whole, the people of God end up over here in chair number three. If you look at Judges chapter 2, verse 8, it explains that Joshua dies. And a lot of the people who were there when he stood up and declared that day and made their commitment, they died as well. And then it says, another generation grew up who didn't know the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. Verse 12 says they went their own way completely. They abandoned the Lord. They lived their life as if they had nothing to do with God at all. And they chased after other sources of leadership and guidance and other gods in their life. Do you see the movement? From as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord to, yeah, I remember when we used to walk with God to, I don't even walk with God anymore. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen in families from grandpa to their kids to their kids' kids. I've seen it happen in one person's life who, just like that guy in the stairs at the beginning of, of the message, just wasn't watching where they were, and they slid quickly into chair three. It's important to know where you are so you know what your next step is, isn't it? Let me, let me take you through the chairs again and again in, di- in different categories, and you think about where you are. Be honest about where you find yourself. And as, we, as I think we do that, I think you'll be able to get an idea of what maybe some next steps could be for you. Okay, So, for example, one way that we can tell a lot about what chair we're in is how we think about God. How you tend to think of God is a big indicator of which chair you're in. So, for example, chair one people, they tend to think about God in terms of relationship. God is real to them. It's like a living person. They're, they don't think of God as some like cosmic being up in the sky somewhere. Some sort of, you know, deity that I'm going to kind of blindly come into. And so, you know, they know the Lord. They don't know about God. They know God. And they feel his presence and they welcome his presence in their life every day. So prayer becomes like real conversation, not like a rote ritual you go through. God is close. He cares. He's compassionate. He's concerned about our lives. And, and we want it and invite it to pervade every nook and cranny of our lives. So we have a plaque, like a wall hanging in our house, and 
I love the words of it because I so badly want it to be true of my life and of our, of our family and our home. It kind of symbolizes what we're talking about. It says this. It says, Jesus is the head of this house. He's the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener in every conversation. I love that because it's, it's like a reminder of how, yeah, Jesus is everywhere and all the time, and I want him in my life. That's a relationship that's real. Now, chair number two, I'm around a lot of chair two people sometimes, and, and they don't think of it primarily in terms of a relationship. What they do is when they think about God, they think about religion, like it's my religious affiliation, you know. It's a bunch of rituals to be endured sometimes rather than a relationship to be enjoyed. And so it's a bunch of things. When God is reduced to kind of like religion, well, then it's a bunch of do's. Like you got to do this and do that. And do. And as I like to say, sometimes before long, you, just, you don't know where to step. You're going to hit step in the doo-doo. Because there's always something you're going to do wrong. Do this, do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And God becomes this like this massive sort of traffic cop in the rearview mirror that's going to pull you over with the lights flashing and tell you to slow down or stop having fun or something like that. And church then, when you see God as religion, church becomes like this duty, like something, I don't know, it's like spinach. You know, it's like nobody really likes it, but it's probably good for you, so you should do it. And, and, and so that's why there's no real, deep, serious change that happens in a chair two person's life because they're going through the motions they can do it for years they'll go to church for years but the only way change happens in your life is when it happens for real like from the inside out and the only way that happens is through relationship with god the chair two doesn't get to experience that because they've got god in a little box called religion that's why by the way if you're in chair two you need to know it comes with a nice chest of drawers The chest of drawers is handy because it's got different compartments, and you can just keep all the different parts of your life kind of sealed off from one another and from God. So, you, you know, your top drawer, a lot of us, it's our family, you know? It's like, hey, mom and dad, here we go. Got the family, got a kid with a very large head, apparently. Got, got the dog, you know, got the cat. There's no cat in this family. Okay, here we go. So here you go. But your family's a drawer, but you keep it up here. And down here, here's your work, you know, or your school, whatever, those kinds of, that, but that's a category, and we keep that compartmentalized off. Down here in drawer number three, oh, here's my money. I got a, I got a lock on this one. I keep my finances kind of to myself there. And down here, I even have a God drawer. I got that King James Bible they gave me years ago, and I keep, but I keep that down here, and I can just close it up. Because it's a compartment, and I fail to realize when I'm in chair two that God owns the whole dresser. Like my whole life belongs to God, but I don't see it that way because it's a religion, it's a box, it's a compartment when I'm in chair number two. Chair number three isn't really like relationship or religion. It's more like, just, it, it honestly, is rejection. It's, it's a rejection. The person in relationship with God, they may be pleasant, they may be well-educated, they may be a nice guy and all of that, but someone who's saying, I don't choose the Lord, is actually rejecting the Lord. To say, no, I'm comfortable in this chair. To say no to Jesus Christ is to say no, whether knowingly or unknowingly, is to reject the only one who can really make your life fulfilled and can save you. But that's what chair three chooses. I have, this is really hard to talk about in many ways because I have some dear friends in, in chair three. Some have, some have come to the conclusion that 
Because of their commitment to science, they can't be people of faith. Sad truth is they just haven't looked into it enough because faith and science can beautifully speak to each other and complement and live together. Sometimes people say that because it's easier than taking moral responsibility for their life. Sometimes a person in chair three will, will, will have all kinds of reasons. Sometimes I've, I've said to one of them, I said, you know what, if, if I'm wrong and you're right, there is no God. I've lost nothing. I've still lived an amazing life, a rich life, fellowship, friendship. I've, I've contributed well to society and blessed my family in amazing ways, and I've lost nothing. But if you're wrong, and I'm right, and millions and millions of other God followers are right, then you've lost everything. That's a big gamble. People in chair three often will say, well, I don't want to reject anything. You know, I'm, I, I, in fact, I'm willing to embrace Jesus, but I want to embrace along with other beliefs and other philosophies and other worldviews and religions, and I'm going to mush it all up in kind of a nice eclectic stew and, and pretend that we're all the same and everything kind of going the same place and all that. But the fact is, friends, if a person hasn't accepted Jesus Christ on Jesus' own terms, then you haven't accepted him at all. Because Jesus does have terms for that. And Jesus is the one who says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That's why his arms are open wide. His grace is free and available to everyone. He doesn't want anyone to sort of miss out on the pathway that he's offering, which is the truth, which is satisfying, which is fulfilling for this life now and the only path that will ultimately lead to the next for all eternity. So to try to say yes to Jesus and yes to everything else is a way of saying no to Jesus. And that's why we use that word rejection for chair three. Even though it feels comfortable now, it's ultimately a rejection, rebellion against God. So you feeling the difference between the chairs? The, the, the chair you're sitting in will, will um, determine how you answer the question like, who's the boss of you? <laughs> like, who's in charge of your life? Who's the CEO of your life? That, that's answered by the, question, the chair you're in. So for, for a chair one person, when they get to the question of who's really in the presidential suite of my life, the answer would be like, well, God first, because that's their sincere desire is to put God first in all things. Their family's important. Their finances are important. They, you know, their job, all that's important, but God is first, and wants to, they want God to pervade every nook and cranny of their life and give God the whole dresser. So, God, I want to live my life before an audience of one. Now, I don't care what everybody else says. I'm going to live before God. That, that's chair one. Here's another way you can tell. If you're in chair one, when you come up against something that's hard in life, and we all do, when you really struggle with something, maybe it's temptation, or you're just going through an awful time in a relationship or whatever it might be that's really difficult, where do you instinctively turn for strength? Because everybody turns somewhere. Where do you instinctively turn for your source of comfort, for your rescue, for your guidance. What voices and promptings do you listen for when you're going through a really tough time? Chair number one is going to say, I'm going to listen for God's voice. And God, you are my strength and my help and my hope and my counsel and my comfort. And that's instinctively kind of hardwired into a chair one person. But chair two, chair two, I would say their reference to who's in charge in their life is really more of a God and self. It's kind of, they're kind of torn. 
Because part of them wants to live a life with God and for God, but part of them wants to just, I want to do what I want to do. I can relate to this chair two life. I've spent a lot of days in chair two. And some of you know what it's like to kind of have that sort of ambiguous ambivalence about, you know, you do, you want to say you love God, but there's all these other pulls. You feel the flesh, the Bible calls it, or your own spirit pulling against the very spirit of God. Sometimes you can't hear the spirit of God saying, here's what you need to do in the middle of this fight. Here's what you need to do in the middle of this crisis. You can't hear that because you're so busy getting sources of information from yourself or other places. And so... You're sort of stuck that way. In the middle of a really hard time, your instinctive reaction is to say with your lips, I, I, I trust God, but really the knee-jerk reaction in reality is that you're turning to other sources for your strength, for your comfort. Sometimes we turn to food or Netflix first or my counselor or booze or drugs or sex or whatever it might be. And some of those things can be okay and good, not all of them, but some of them can be good. But when they become my knee-jerk first go-to for I, I need strength and help and comfort and, and to console myself, they can become a wedge between where you are and where God is. And that's why you land in chair two and get stuck there sometimes. Here's a, here's a check for how you might know sometimes. I ask this question to my, myself sometimes. If God were to completely pull out of my life, how long would it take me to notice? Like if he weren't part of my life, how long would you realize he was gone? Is he really speaking? Are you hearing his voice? Are, 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 is he helping call shots in your life? And where do you turn for your comfort? Those are great diagnostic questions. God first. God and self. Chair three is really more simple. It's just kind of self. Self. Because it, it comes back to me. It comes back to, to that person. How does this affect me? How can I protect me? What's in it for me? And that's, that's if I get the feeling that this isn't going to be good for me, I'm not interested in it. I, I'm going I'm to do what I think I want to do. And, I, and if you try to urge me or coax me to do something that I don't feel is good for me, I'm going to push back. I may punch you in the nose. I may get argumentative. I may get defensive. I might even attack you. And by the way, it'll be your fault. Because that's ultimately what comes down with chair three all the time. I don't have time to veer the ship of my life in the direction you or God or anyone else thinks I should go. I know where I'm going. I know what I want. I'm a captain of my own fate. And doggone it, if someone gets in my way, uh, even spiritual things, I don't have time for that. I'm going to help me, myself, and I move onward, upward, and forward. Now get out of my way. That's chair three, ultimately. And it'll be, they'll be nicer on the surface than that, but that's what it comes down to. And if I end up hurting someone along the way, which inevitably happens because chair three has no moral guide, ultimately... I'm going to leave a wake of broken relationships sometimes in my, in my path behind me. And the, and the real tragedy is that sometimes a person in chair three won't realize that the person among others that they're leaving behind is the one they love the most, and it's themselves. Are you getting any insight into chair, chairs one, two, and three? Getting little symptoms and signs about where you might be? Uh, let's look at another category. This one my friend Kyle came up with. He says it this way. Chair number one, you could describe as someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Because get this, when Jesus says, follow me, I know it sounds crazy, but a chair one person actually like, takes that seriously. Like they say, I want to follow him. I want to do what he says and go where he says and do that in my life. I'm following. Chair number two is more like a, what you describe as a fan, Okay? Like a fan, someone who's like, 
rah, rah, you know, I'm, I'm there. Like, you go to the Ravens games, you know, you got these fans. You know, they got, the, they got the face paint and the stuff, you know, rah, 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 and the cheer. You know, they got the bumper stickers, says Ravens or whatever. But, you know, whatever. But, um, but they're not in the game. They're making no sacrifices. They, you know, they're not really trying to win the game. They're just fans. And if the team loses a bunch, they're like, I'm out. You know, those stupid Ravens, I hate them. And Jesus has got some people like that that are fans, you know, they're, they're, they're admirers, you know, it's like, ah, I got a bumper sticker on my car, and, you know, look at my Facebook profile, it says I'm a Christian, right there, you know, there, okay. but you're really just a fan, you're not making any sacrifices for the Lord, you're not paying any, you're not really committed in a sense, and if, and if something goes wrong, or someone offends you, or the church doesn't make you happy, or whatever, he's like, well, you know, you back off. That's a fan. Chair number three is... Someone that wouldn't be a follower or a fan would be more like a foe. <laughs> Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. You kind of put yourself in a category there if you say you're not interested in Jesus. There was a guy named Nicodemus who came to Jesus, and he was part of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, and they were kind of, by definition, foes of Jesus. But it seemed like Nicodemus wanted something more. He was, like, maybe interested in flirting with being a fan, like a secret admirer. I think that's why he came at night, the Bible says. Because if he came at night, then he might not be required to really sort of, you know, I don't know, tell anyone about it or, you know, make a change in his life or, you know, might not have to integrate into his life that way. He was maybe interested in moving from foe to fan, and I love what Jesus' response to him. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, it doesn't work that way, Nick. Man, you want a, you want a relationship with me? Let it, let it happen. Don't just become a fan. Become a follower. He, he, Jesus says, you got to be, it's like being born all over again. We're not talking about little Jesus' makeup. We're talking about a makeover. So you can like be renewed from the inside out. Like this is real, Nicodemus. And I think some of us need that word. Some of us are like, well, maybe I need to move over to becoming a fan. And I would just say, today's the day. Take a step and move right past this chair over to this chair. Become a follower. And that's, that's what we want to believe happened with Nicodemus. Where are you at? Let me give you another category. How about this? How you view the Bible is an interesting question. How you view the scriptures. Chair number one people, they, they would be people who would say, well, I, I, I want to submit to the Bible. We don't like the word submission, but what we mean there is there's someone who trusts that it's from God and it's for, God is for us. And this is like God's love letter to us. It tells the story of God and it's also about me and it's, I can trust it. I may not understand every word of it. I may have questions that are unanswered still, but you know what? I don't have to understand all of the Bible. I don't have to know everything it's in the Bible to be a chair one person. I just got to say, I want to I actually put the Bible into practice. I want to do this word and live it out. Chair number two would be someone who doesn't submit to the Bible so much as there's someone who that might, I would say, res- they would respect the Bible. Like, it's a good book. It's a holy book. I mean, I'm crying out loud. I'll swear on it in court if I need to, but let's not get carried away. Let's not overdose on the Bible. Let's not kind of put too much stock in it. Let's not look to it as a sort of life source and a guide. I'm going to look to other sources for that as well. You know, there's other people, other opinions, and, you know, Oprah and whoever else. Chair number three might be someone who just, you know, say, well, I own a Bible, but that's about the interest would stop there. You know, maybe they own a Bible. Is a book on a shelf as a decoration or a place to flatten out a rose or something like that, but it's not something that they would want to put into practice. It's not something that they would believe would, would have relevance or meaning, be filled with doubts and questions and see it as an outdated, made-up book because they've never really studied it. Can you see which chair you're in? 
You know, I, I, I've seen that there's a difference um, in how people come to think about what the church really is. That kind of belies which chair they're in. Chair one people tend to think of the church as, as a community of fellow believers who are kind of like imperfect but being working out their stuff and moving forward with Jesus and doing it arm in arm on a mission to really make an impact and change the world. They see the flaws because they know how broken they are, but they see it as still strong and beautiful and somehow Jesus works through us. They see it as a community like that and a place to belong and change the world. Chair two people don't tend to see it primarily as a community. They see it like an organization maybe or maybe the key word would be like club. It's like a club, like a social clique, if you will. It's like a pl- good place to network or socialize or connect at a human level, but they don't necessarily sometimes think of it as being a divine institution where God's really doing amazing things to change my life and the life of others. And chair three would tend to see the church as just sort of like a custom, like a social convention, like a tradition. And if you're into that, like some people go to Star Wars conventions, great, you do that. But it has no real bearing on reality or my life or, or that kind of thing. Even if I come on Easter Christmas, I don't expect it to sort of be anything that would change the world. So you see, there's so many categories we can think about that really affect every, you know, the chair you're in really affects everything, doesn't it? Like marriage. So, so if you're in chair one, you tend to view marriage more like a covenant, like, a, like God is in this covenant, where it's a man, woman, and God together, and it makes it stronger than we are in our own weakness, and it helps you hold together when you're, when you're too stupid to know how to save your marriage yourself. The covenant sometimes comes in and helps you and saves you, and you say, I want to serve you. That's what you say to your spouse in a covenant. Whereas chair two tends to think more of it, more like a contract, where, you, you know, you know, you, you bring this to me, and I'll bring this to you, and we'll work this out. But you know what? When I, when I get unhappy, then maybe I'm, I'm just going to have to check out because it's a contract. I can break a contract. I look at it sort of differently. And so the marriage might only be as strong as our affection for each other, which we know goes up and down all the time. Whereas chair three would maybe just see marriage as a, as a convenience. Like, it's not even I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's more like, you know, what are you bringing to me? What about kids? You know, people in chair one, they tend to want to raise godly kids. They want to do everything they can to aim their kids in a direction so their kids can choose this day whom they will serve. Because godly kids, they feel, is the greatest achievement. I want my kids to honor God and to know Jesus and to feel like they're able to follow him in their own right. That's the win in chair one. Chair two, they want to raise good kids, however society defines that for them. Good kids, kids who stay out of trouble, who do good and make success and all of that stuff. In chair three, that would be even to a, a further extent. They would like, I want to raise successful kids. So where they stand in the eyes of God isn't important at all, but where they stand in, in the test scores or in the university or, or where they stand at school or on the team or in the scholarship race, that matters ultimately. So, so how you, what you think the end game is, raising your kids, it's completely different depending on which chair you're in. And by the way, first chair people have the best shot at raising first chair kids. Now, they have the best shot at it. Now, kids can do what they want to do, and kids do sometimes. They choose their own path, and everyone's got to choose whom they will serve. But first chair people, they're not perfect, but they they live in an authentic kind of way that the kids naturally want to gravitate. That's my story. My parents are the real deal. 
their first year people. And I had to come to my own faith after wiggling around here for a while. And you do too. Here's another fact. I can tell you as a pastor, I've seen it a million times. Second chair people don't raise second chair kids. They raise third chair kids. Because third chair, because kids see everything. They know what's real. And, and this, this, isn't, this isn't real. You're playing some kind of churchianity or religious game. And they see through that. And they want something that's real. And so they kind of assume it can't be God. And there's a cultural trajectory in that direction right now. So that's sobering and important for us to hear. If you have an influence on a kid, the best thing you can do is do whatever you can do for yourself to find yourself in chair number one. Hey, what about your job? If you're in chair one, you tend to view your employment with the question, man, how can I use this to be a blessing to other people? Because you, you see your job is like a ministry front, like a mission field. Like, who am I supposed to be interacting with? And the income I get from there, how can I use it to live off of but be a blessing to as many people as possible? I, I want to be a blessing. But my job in the second chair is more like, wow, I see it as a benefit to me. Like, I'm blessed by God. Thank you, God. I might thank God for blessing me, but I see it as a benefit to me primarily. And chair number three might just say, well, I see my job is all about me. So, you know, maybe it's just like the bucks. You know, how much money am I making? How much opportunity is it giving me? You see, you see, we can go through any category you want, and, and chairs that you're sitting in really determine what your next steps are. Here's where I want to wrap up today and, and give you just a, a straight opportunity. I just want to ask you, which chair do you find yourself in most often right now? Not where you wish you were, not where you used to be, not where you want people to think you are. Where are you? Can I just tell you, I think there's like a key word for each of us, wherever you find yourself. Some of you might say, I believe right now, by the grace of God, in this season of my life, most of the time, I'm in, I'm in chair one. And I would just say, humbly thank God and for the people that have influenced and led you and pointed you in that direction over the years. Thank God for that. And today, I, I think if you find yourself in chair number one, the word I would give for you today would be this. Would you, I'm calling on you to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today, and to do it right now, to rededicate yourself, to reaffirm that commitment, to say, God, I do want you to be in first place in my life. I want every drawer of my dresser to, to be in your hands. I want to think about my money that way. I want, to, I want to think about my family that way, my job, my marriage if I'm married, and my kids, and, and all of the, and the Bible, and all these things we've talked about. That you rededicate yourself. Luke 9.23 says, Jesus, in the words of Jesus, if anyone wants to follow me, he says, let them deny themselves daily. Daily, daily, daily. You hear the word? Daily, every day. If you find yourself in chair one, you rededicate yourself today because you know what? You can't make that decision once for all. You gotta make that decision every single day. Make that decision today. Rededicate yourself and just put yourself on a plane in the Lord's hands where you're ready to move forward with him. If you're in chair two, you've heard some things just like, golly, you know what? It sounds like that's where I am in certain ways. You've heard some of the symptoms of chair two-ness in your life. The word I would give for you today would be this. It's the simple word, repent. It's just a word that means to, to turn back to God. It means to change. It means to recalibrate something in your life so you could take a step back to where God is inviting you, calling you to be. Acts 3 says that when we turn to God, when we repent, it's refreshing. It's not some guilt trip or some negative thing. It's, it's, it leads to times 
of refreshing. And I want to encourage you is to do more than say, well, I believe in God. I believe in Listen, the demons believe in God. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to turn to him. Revelation 3 says that at the end of time, Jesus will come, and those who are in chair 2 have these kind of words spoken to them by Jesus himself, who says, I know everything you do. I see your deeds. And, and, and what I see is that you're neither hot nor cold. And I wish you'd be one or the other. Because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. The word there literally means you make me want to vomit you out. Not words we want to hear from the Lord Jesus because that mediocrity, that sliding around is not a comfortable place to be. And if you know you're not living fully for Christ and you can invite Jesus in to a fuller, more central place in your life, then by all means today, do it. Turn to God. Recalibrate. The word is repent. And chair three, maybe you've heard some things to say, you know what, honestly, I guess I might be chair three. If that's where you are, I want to say some just real honest things to you. Maybe you're skeptical about some things. Maybe you've been hurt by something. Maybe you're angry at God or something, and you're finding it difficult to move forward in faith. What I want to say to you is, man, you're in the right place. You are so welcome here. This is a safe place, okay, to take as long as you need to kick the tires of Christian faith. Listen in to what Christian people think, believe, and do, and what we're called to. It's okay. We're here for you. We really are. But I also want you to know this, that sometimes a person who struggles in that sort of stuck state of the comfort of chair three, you just need to know sometimes Jesus is just going to tap you, and and that, that inner pull and tug you've maybe felt is real, and it's from God. And today, my word for you would be, will you receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Just receive him. Let him in. Like he's knocking patiently. Will you just open the door of your life and let him in? I believe there's somebody that probably needs to do that. Just to receive Christ, to say, okay, let me take my first step toward him. And I want to warn you, the longer you sit in that comfortable chair, the harder it is to get up out of it. But everybody can. Today's the day of salvation for every one of us. So we're going to share in a time of communion right now, which is going to give us a great moment to reflect on exactly where we are and which step we might need to take. So servers, take your places at all of our campuses And as we share communion, this time we'll remember the one who gave everything for us, who took huge steps for us. I'm asking you to be very clear about what your step will be. In a moment, someone will come back and ask you, what's your step? And in these moments of reflection, you just be honest with God, whether you're going to rededicate yourself to him today, whether you're going to recalibrate and repent and turn to him and step toward him or receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's share together a time of communion, and then we'll sing together and mark our commitments publicly. Let's pray. God, we welcome your presence here now in this place, and thank you for Jesus, who gave his life for us. And now, Lord, might we give of ourselves back to you in whatever step you are calling us to take. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.